Five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. Well, we got some shocker news today. I'm not sure the, quite the scope of it, but I wanted to talk to you about it. Uh, and I'll put the link down below in the uh, in the show notes over on YouTube and on uh, and on LinkedIn for sure. And um, Deborah Korn has an article in in uh, print. Let's see what it is. Print impressions. I wonder what PI stands for. And and Deborah, uh, that you know, very bold headline: breaking significant direct mail data and privacy laws coming to your print shop. Very scary headline. And there's a podcast that I haven't listened to yet, because I just saw this this morning. Uh, by Pat McGrew, which who shares news about new privacy laws being passed in the U.S. that will require opt-ins from consumers to receive direct marketing from your print shop. You know that doesn't may not sound like much to you, but uh, <clears throat> transactional healthcare and legal documents aside, if you send anything in the mail from a client-supplied or client-bought list you may be breaking the law unless you unless your print business has permission from each recipient think about that and oftentimes you can't mail to them to get their permission um, and uh, it Deborah says we need to get prepared and work together as an industry to minimize the damage which I don't see a lot happening with the print industry is working together um, but if you send anything through the mail for clients, listen to this short podcast. So, as I said, I'll put the link below. Um, one of the things not to do is to panic. One of my friends in the list business in the UK, I, I spoke out a, a, about GDPR in about 19 or about 2016 uh, or 2015, way before anybody in the industry spoke out about GDPR over in over in England, and um, one of the concerns was that there was similar language in it. And J.D. Williams, this is my understanding again, um, J.D. Williams decided unilaterally, without the government telling them to, just to avoid any possible infringement, one of the biggest catalogers in the U.K. decided to delete all of their, all of their customer data I haven't heard of it either, Richard. Um, it's just, it was today, you know, just today. All of their, they deleted all of their customer data beyond zero to 12 months. And as far as I know, decided not to even make backups because they were so scared about all the fines for keeping customer, even customer data that was beyond 12, zero to 12 months. The rest of the, mailers in the UK got together and said this is crazy we've been mailing for decades our customers like our mail <laughs> you know and they went to the uh, I forget the name of the the office you know of, in, of of enforcement whatever it's called over in the UK it's like an inspector general or something and they went to them and they said you know are you kidding you know we have we have been doing business like this all along and the uh, the inspector general said, 
Oh, no, we don't care about that. That's not something we would care about at all. Um, we're perfectly fine with you mailing. <laughs> That's just the way we are. Oops, there goes the sound again. That's just the way we do business. It's not, no problem at all. <laughs> and so everyone else was able to keep mailing and even rent lists and exchange lists as they had always been doing um, because they decided there was no harm in it. Now, one printer in Canada and I were talking about um, were talking about these laws and in Canada, and he said they'll never they'll never shut down direct mail because the government makes money from the mail. And there's something to that, I think. So my guess, having not listened to Pat's talk, my guess is that this is legislation coming at the state level or the or the township level or something that doesn't recognize the benefit of direct mail. And that's, you know, that's going to get, that's going to be a challenge as it is. It's always, we've always fought against junk mail. <laughs> I like the name because what else in life can you throw away without thought? Even if it's something you meant to look at, you say, oh, another one will come <laughs> in a while. So, Mail is very empowering, even if you throw it away. But that aside, um, I had a client, and we were going to launch a catalog. And when we originally launched the catalog, we had like, I don't know, a thousand customers or something back in the 80s. And now they have like a hundred. They had like 120,000 customers that had done business with them. And I explained to their IT people that even though these weren't you know, they had done business as part of other arrangements that this company managed. But we did have a transaction history with them, and many of them were business were business addresses. And so um, it's perfectly fine to mail them. It's not an invasion of privacy. Uh, I really want to find the Supreme Court uh, case because, uh, you know, I quote it that, that the, the, the distance from the trash can to the from the mailbox to the trash can is sufficiently short as not to constitute an invasion of privacy. I'm told that was a big direct mail, uh, direct mail ruling. <laughs> we got to find that. But um, the she felt so strongly that we had no right to invade their privacy that she quit. She actually quit the job, and uh, because she thought we should not be mailing people things that they're not asked for. But if you think about it, that's the essence of advertising. The essence of advertising and business free speech is telling you about something you never heard of. And so if we can't tell people about products and services that are new, then capitalism can't function. Then we just need the government to tell us you can only buy this kind of car, you can only buy this kind of refrigerator. And as we know from ample historical evidence, I actually watched like an hour history of the Yugo, the vehicle made in Yugoslavia, and uh, no one really ever liked it much, um, even in Yugoslavia. They sold a few, but uh, I was driving one across town. We were pitching the, the dealership, and I adjusted the rearview mirror, and it came off in my hand, and I said, you know, maybe we don't want this account, and it, it uh, sorted history, but Top Gear, the guys in, in, in the UK have a have a show. Did the did communist countries ever build a car anyone wanted? And there's a there's collectors that just specialize in co old communist cars that they have to keep running. But anyway, so 
I'll get you more information on this, but we do need to keep an, an eye on it. Uh, we don't want to be knee-jerking reaction like J.D. Williams and just trash our entire business. Uh, I had one of the, old, the oldest catalog in America. We did their data work just recently for a couple of years. And they hired a, com a compliance officer. This is where you get in trouble. And they put in our contract that I had to uh, comply with uh, CCPA in California. Now Colorado's got one coming out, CPA, I believe it's called. And I said, I refuse to sign this contract. Go find somebody else. <coughs> and they said, well, what do you mean? You don't want to work with us? Oh, I, I want to work with you more than anything. But I'm not signing a contract that says I have to comply with laws that are, are ill-defined and probably not in the best interest of the consumer. There were issues like, you know, if a consumer asks to be taken off your file, you have to take them off your file. I said, that's really nuts. Because if you're renting lists, then the next time you rent their name on a list, they come back and sue you. In California, they have that, they had that right. Or they do have that right. I said, much better would be not to delete their name, but to keep their name on record and, add, and, and use it as a suppression list on any list you rent. So that you make sure you don't mail them. That's much more sane. That's the way the law should be written, that you that you suppress the name from a mailing. But anyway, very, very interesting, and we'll keep an eye on it. Great article here by Carl. Uh, Carl Fremont, he says, uh, opinion, what today's marketers can learn from the direct mail era. And I'm not sure when that was, because it still seems to me to be happening. But... Uh, excellent article in Ad Age of all places. Excellent, excellent, Carl. Uh, in a single piece of mail, there are a myriad of elements that can be tested against a standard control letter. Change, a change in the words could yield a 10 or 15% lift in the response rate. And I had one that was a, a folded postcard rate, uh, little mailer from Deluxe Check, and we got a 20% lift by just changing the words and moving stuff around a little bit. Um, you know, I... It was it was about a coupon book for collecting rent, and, and I added money saving, a money saving way to collect rent or something like that, and uh, and a couple other things, and 20% lift against control. Not just, oh, it bothers me so much that all of the articles I read on mail or, uh, uh, or even on testing don't talk about control. You have to have a control. And see, Carl is implying a control could yield a lift. Lift implies control. Comparison. Real-time comparison. You know, we play the teams head-to-head -head on the same day in the same lists and see what happens. That's a real test. Really not. Really not. Oh, good. Oh, this is great. Richard found an article that debunks McGrew. I think we'll, we'll be focusing on that tomorrow. We're going to check out we're going to check out this, uh, this definitely this podcast. Thank you, Richard. I will definitely look at that. That is so excellent. Because, as I said, you got to be careful that you overread these. And especially if you have somebody in your company that's a compliance officer where their job is to make sure the company follows every rule and dots every I. You know what? Sometimes that's a big mistake. That can get you in more trouble. Do you want the intent of the law or do you want the letter of the law? I'll tell you what. You want the intent. That's the way I drive my car, too. Okay, so decades ago, it took months to send out 
marketing materials, get responses, analyze what works. But today we have instantaneous results, and yet we test almost nothing in a controlled, uh, well-designed environment. Artificial intelligence and machine learning, yeah, we can multiply the ability to test like a hundredfold. I can test a hundred things, a hundred variables at the same time in a mailing. Yes, I can. So if you have, but you have to have a big enough mailing and most don't. Okay, but testing is more than just access to data and and holding up data. Testing requires a bit of bravado because it costs money. I went around and I called up some of the leaders of Namoa, you know, the owners of catalogs. And I said, what are you testing right now? Do you test enough? Because one of the, one of the, I think it, you know, one of the presidents or past presidents or something said, <clears throat> we don't want to we don't want to talk about testing at Namoa because everybody tests enough. I said, I think you need something on testing. And I ended up doing a talk on it. But I I called up one company and uh, again, the oldest company and oldest catalog in America. And I asked if they if they thought they tested enough. This was someone in circulation. And they said to me, no. Was Larry? I gotta call Larry. I gotta see how Larry's doing. Anyway, uh, Larry said no because the CFO says if you if you have two different offers, one is gonna by definition do better than the other, which means that the 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 loser eroded our margin, our total margin, and that's true. It did. It always will. It's baked into testing. Even if you ignore the cost of building a different piece, which is virtually nothing these days, you know, I mean, unless you're doing a, a full format test, but there's really, you know, there's no cost in changing words, not anymore. Uh, it's really, you can do that really so easily. It's not like we have to cut separate cylinders on our rotogravure. Anyway, testing is more important than ever. I contend that there's almost no brand that knows their customer because they don't test. And and just an A-B split on a number of clicks is not a test. In my opinion, it's not even valid because you don't know who's seeing the ad. Without a high enough engagement where you know people are seeing it and some are ignoring it and some are buying, without that kind of environment, you just don't have valid results. You know, you can draw conclusions. But try and extrapolate that. We'll get that into that a little bit more. So brands invested in their direct-to-consumer platforms, now they need to make testing standard. Continual testing should be part of any brand's growth culture. So here are six things you can think about. Determine KPIs, and he's got lifetime value in ROAS. <laughs> I was talking with someone yesterday. Very, very well, a very, very knowledgeable person who didn't know what that was. And I said, it's return on ad spend. The trouble with it is, is that, I mean, Google made it basically famous because uh, they don't know what your margin is, right? They don't know what your cost of goods is. They don't know what your cost of, uh, of order processing is. So they just take your ad cost versus your sales, top line sales. They don't know your rate of return. They don't know anything. Okay, but what your KPI should be, and this is what I learned from day one in direct mail, was was EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And you say, I don't know what, I don't know what taxes are going to be and depreciation. I don't know any of that stuff. I don't know how to figure that out. You know, it it doesn't say that you have to figure this out. It says before. 
got to remember that. It means before you start doing the, the teeny-weeny tweaky stuff, what's our cost of goods that we have to subtract from sales? What's our cost of order processing that we have to subtract from sales? And what's the cost of our advertising that we have to subtract from sales? If you take those three elements carefully done, and I can do that for your company, then you have a number that the CFO is going to actually like. Call it EBITDA. And if he fights with you on a little of this or that, you cave and say, yeah, sure, fine. Anyway, set up a test design. And I would say this shortcuts the process a little bit, this article, because first you have observation. First you say, what do we see in our piece that our customers aren't getting? And I could do a whole webinar on this, and maybe I should, but we're not going to. But in order to set up a test design to find the variables you're testing and determine the size of the test structure, you first have to decide what variables matter. And, I've, and, and, and it's an art, which Carl says, because there's, there's obvious things that you should fix. If there's no response device, if there's no link to click on or QR code or 800 number or something, then, or website mention, you need to put that in. Don't test putting it in and not putting it in. <laughs> you just put it in. If you've got a good best practices consultant, he'll say, this is the things you need to fix. That's good. Let them do that. Get somebody. Call me. <laughs> anyway, if, but on the other hand, I've seen a lot of companies who were committed to testing but had tested so many things and really kind of thought they knew what they were doing that they were testing, you know, does a pink envelope versus return envelope versus a blue envelope matter more, right? Or does a pink background and a blue background matter more? And that is trivial and not going to – it's not – there's no benefit to that. So you've got to kind of be in the middle where there's an important variable that can be tested easily but that isn't – isn't something you should just fix. And you got to get somebody with some experience on that one. Determine the platforms and channels. Mentions email, paid media. <clears throat> How about mail? Mail is the number one environment to test because you have high engagement. And because we know who saw it, we know it got delivered, we know it went to a decision maker within the household. So we know it got ignored. Or it got a result. It got a, a sale. That's the best test environment we've got. It's a labeled data set baked into the labeled data is a labeled data set for machine learning and AI. And the reason that's, that 87% of AI projects fail, especially in marketing, is they don't have a labeled data set. And it's not trivial and it's not easy to build in digital or in mass media because you don't know who saw it. And you don't know who saw it but paid no attention. Because the engagement level is so low and because in, in all the digital and mass media, it goes away. If you don't look at your email carefully, more come in. It covers it up. If you walk away from the TV, the commercials still run. Same thing with your, with your YouTube channel that you forgot and it's on the, all night. It continues to play different stuff. Okay, Establish a test budget. I'm not sure what that is, and you have to be careful if you have a small test, a small panel of test, that you don't take the cost of that piece as dramatically different. When if you had the full run length, it would be the same as your as your control. I also say uh, 
don't necessarily just test small. If you really believe a test is going to win, give it the majority of the mailing and keep a small control. That's something that took me years to learn. Okay, but here's an important one here. Oh, ensure that a database such as a DMP, that's a data management platform. I had to look that up. You know, we used to be able to count the returns we got. <laughs> you know, we'd take a fat, juicy marker because we forgot to key code them and put purple on one and put green on another or something down the side of the print stack. And we could just count the greens and the purples that came in. I mean, they don't need a data management platform, but, you know, I'm not against it. But lastly, incorporate test results in the next round. The funny part is, is that unless you have a hypothesis to start with, unless you have something you've observed and suspect that matters, and then you craft a test explicitly to test that hypothesis, you don't yield an explanation. You don't have a causal story that tells why that 20% happened. If you just take a random word generator and stick a new word in and you say, oh, that did 20% better. What can you extrapolate? You can't build it into the next package. So you need a hypothesis to get a theory. And a theory is something that you can use over and over and over again into the future. So when I was VP at, of marketing at Sales Guides, which then became Norscott, I was handing out my catalog that I was very proud of to business owners. It was imprinted merchandise. But we had really big name clients like Ford and 3M and uh, Pontiac and a bunch of them and uh, Caterpillar. And, and so we put their, their imprints on the items because we, we wanted to elevate the industry. We wanted to say big companies work with us. And I would hand it to my friends and they'd say, why would I want to buy a Miller hat or a Caterpillar hat? I said, no, this is for your company name on there. Oh, yeah, we buy some of that. Okay, here, thanks. After that happened about a dozen times, I had an observation that people weren't getting what we were doing. Okay, that was my observation. And so my hypothesis was if we put your name here on some of these items, we might get a better result. And if you write to me, I'll send you a picture of that cover test because I've put it up on the screen at a couple of hundred or people at a DMA show and only about 50% of the audience even got what we were testing. We did it so carefully so that the covers looked exactly the same except some had brands on it and some had your name here of some in some typeface or something else. 600,000 pieces. We didn't want to shortcut this. 600,000 pieces. 300,000 in each panel. We got a 40% lift. And because we'd carefully crafted it, we never looked back. And it ignited, it ignited our brand. It ignited our catalog. And it grew to 10 million bucks in sales from nothing in just a matter of a couple of years. But that one test was crucial. And there was a hypothesis. And there was an experiment. And then there was a theory that we could extrapolate. Testing is an art. You really want to do it. You, first principle of direct marketing, you always test something. Thank you, Carl. I really appreciated your article. I know you have a word count, and I don't. Have a great day. Like and share. Tomorrow afternoon.
Get over to WDMA.org and register for our for our meetup. It's a lot of fun. We have some really great people signed up already. Really great. Some big printers, some small printers, some uh, ad people. It's really it's always fun. It does. You don't require you're not required to be a member of WDMA, but go over there and register. And if you want, subscribe or join. Support the, this effort. We really need your support. Have a great day. Bye bye.